Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. I, I daydream a lot. Is anybody else a daydreamer? Okay, a couple people, a couple, people, couple honest people. Um, just kidding. Um, but despite that, despite my sort of daydreaming, I, I feel like I have actually a pretty bad imagination. I was talking to someone about this, and uh, she was telling me that she had uh, a condition called maladaptive daydreaming. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I had never heard of it. But where she basically would just sit in her bedroom as a child and then just go to other places in her mind. And she'd invent worlds and scenarios and all these sort of things. And I was like, not going to lie, sounds awesome. But uh, she's like, no, I had to like, get therapy. <laughs> like, it was like a whole thing. I was disassociating with, with life. But when I think about my own imagination, I feel like I'm, I'm looking at a wall, and there's a great big hand-painted map. And across this map, I can see illustrations of, of destinations and goals. But there's these large portions of the map that are just blank. So I can imagine in my daydreams where I, I end up or where something ends up. But I have a hard time picturing how I'm actually going to get there or, or what the, the like A, B, and C are to get to D. And I feel like for, for some folks, that's, that's enough, you know, that's content. But I think with that, it gets kind of frustrating. And honestly, this is a confession from a pastor here at your church. I am a major nerd. And I was tracking this thought process this week, and I was like, probably why I'm so sort of, I have an affinity for like fantasy literature, and I have this affection for things like that. Um, and I think a lot of it is to do with this same lack of imagination. I love reading immersive world building and getting into these kinds of things. I was actually, this isn't in my notes, but I was thinking about it this morning, last daylight savings time, last like March daylight savings time, spring forward, um, I was not preaching, so I had a book that I was really enjoying. It was like the third book in a series of several books. And I had about 90 pages to finish. And it's like 9 o'clock, and, and my wife, who, who is very responsible, is in bed. My children are asleep. And I was like, I bet I could finish this tonight. 90 pages isn't that much, you know? 90 pages in an epilogue, no big deal. I can do this. It's a couple chapters, whatever. And so I'm just going to town. I'm reading. I'm checking the clock, making sure I'm not being too irresponsible. And I'm reading, and I'm crying, and the book is beautiful, and it's like the whole final act is just this huge build-up to this satisfying conclusion. And I'm like, wow, what an incredible book. And I look at my phone. I look at my watch, my, like, watch, and it says 2 o'clock in the morning. And I was like, oh, that's so dumb. I should have gone to sleep hours ago. And then I look at my phone, and it's actually 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I'm like, this is bad. I need to be at the church at 6. You know, like, and so that whole morning, I'm just like, like walking around like I'm swimming through jello because I had uh, not very much sleep. And so last night, I was sitting there and thinking fondly, I was reading a book. <laughs> and my wife is out of town, and I was reading this book, and I was like, man, what a, what a great story. And I, I look at my watch, and I was like, wait a second. Not again, Lord. Help me. And so I went to bed at a reasonable hour, and everything is great. Yeah. <laughs> Testimonies all morning long. I think this is interesting, and, and this isn't just like a, a goofy introduction for the sake of goofy introductions, but I think we, we find this, this line of thought streaming through a lot of things. And so actually, the master world builder and author J.R.R. Tolkien wrote about this himself. And I don't know if you guys knew this, but Tolkien was a, a very very uh, bold professor of Jesus, and he wrote an entire essay called On Fairy Stories, where people were criticizing, like, oh, man, fantasies for children. Why do you write books like this? And he wrote it, and, and in his conclusion, he writes this, and I have the quote. It'll be on the screen. That's really small, so if you can't see it, I'll, I'll send it to you or something. It says, the birth of Christ is the catastrophe of man's history. The resurrection is the catastrophe of the story of the incarnation. This story begins and ends in joy, it has preeminently the inner consistency of reality. There is no tale ever told that men would rather find was true, and none which so many skeptical men have accepted as true on its own merits. For the art of it has supremely convincing tone of primary art that is of creation. To reject it 
leads either to sadness or wrath. And so there's all kinds of words and all kinds of phrases. He's building on this the whole essay, you know. But this term, eucatastrophe, is a fancy term that he coins in his essay to mean an unexpected happy ending. That everything's looking like Frodo and Sam are going to die here. And then at the last moment, the eagles come and they rescue them. And, and I think he takes all this time and all this analysis and all this history to build up to this point. He's like, the reason why we enjoy these stories is because our heart longs for that joyful resolution and consolation that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we enjoy things. That's why we daydream. That's why we like these things is because reality is, is hopeless, but Jesus' truth is full of hope. But the, the bit in the middle is what most of life is, right? It starts in joy, and it ends in joy, but the bit in the middle is here or there. Some people are like, I don't know, I have a pretty easy life. Some people are like, I don't even know what that could look like. I can't even imagine what that would be like. And it's the bit in the middle that is, uh, that is the stuff of life. That's the stuff of, of Mondays, I like to say. You know, On Sunday, you may feel fine. You had a donut. You had some coffee. You hang out with some nice people. Go out to lunch afterwards. Shanghai is great. And you go through these kind of things, and then you're faced with reality on Monday. Or maybe for some people, Sunday night. <laughs> and, and it's that stuff that we should be deeply concerned with. And I want to say this as a, as a matter of confession. I've worked here for some time, and I, I had moved away, and then I moved back and all this sort of stuff. But um, I, I used to think, like, I was, I, was primarily, uh, I was primarily called to, like, the sort of uh, falling action, uh, the secondary school of, of faith and discipleship and following Jesus, that I wasn't very good at getting you started, and I wasn't very good at uh, helping you get established, but if you were already enthusiastic and mature, come hang out with me. I even, I had a talk with a pastor here in town where he affirmed this in me, and I was like, wow, this sounds really good. He's like, here's what I'll do. I'll introduce people to Jesus, and then once they're good and ready, then I'll transfer them over to you. And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I don't have to do the, 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 the painful part, the, 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 the uh, actual, like, meaningful part. <laughs> like, I just get to... Um, and so I say that, and I, and I cloak it in thin humor because I, it's honestly something that's convicted me. I prayed for years um, for revival, and I don't think praying for, like, a move of the Holy Spirit is a bad thing. But I prayed with, in my mind, God, let's skip the line. Let's, let's skip the, the down and dirty, messy process of bringing people from that conversion moment to an actual functioning disciple who can make other disciples. If I could just land and skip that. That would be awesome. Lord, if you could just download Bible to people and like just like zap away people's bad habits and wrong thoughts about God. And in fact, do it for me while you're in there, you know, like just help me out. And, and after years of praying that way and not realizing that that's what I was asking for, I became really convicted that the process is messy and long. And sometimes we've so like touted the notion that it takes one encounter. That sounds so good from a Pentecostal pulpit. One encounter is enough to change your life. Absolutely. But even the most explosive encounter has a long road afterward. So let's say you're on drugs. You're in a relationship you're not supposed to be in. You're, you're stealing. You're, you're trafficking. You're doing all kinds of stuff. You hear the gospel of Jesus. You say yes to Jesus. And the pastor high-fives you, and you guys chest bump, and, and God is good. <laughs> and then the next day, you have to stop dealing drugs. You have to break off those relationships that are leading you back into these habits that are destroying you and other people. You have to stop trafficking human beings for your own benefit. You have to stop. And obviously, I go to those extreme examples because that's the easiest to pick on because it's the least likely that you're sitting here like, I have to stop trafficking people. <laughs> like, that's, that's the easiest to pick on. But you have to stop lying. You have to stop, you have to stop doing these things. You have to adhere to the way of Jesus. You have to follow him. You have to be able to be open for other people. And that's a long, painful road. And you were never, ever meant to do it by yourself. And me, my wife is my wife and my children have been gone for the last couple days, and I barely left the house. That is like uh uh, Dustin is so good at calling me out during fellowship time. He's like, are you holding a cup of coffee so you don't have to shake somebody's hand? And I was like, no. 
I just need something to drink right now, okay? <laughs> but it's like, if, if it were like that, if I could just do it by myself, that would be kind of cool, you know? But I realize more and more my own deficiency and how much I need the Lord and how much I need you and how much we need each other. It's, it's so ingrained in creation. And I'd say sometimes, and pretty much all the time, discipleship is slow. Following Jesus is slow. No matter how explosive you get started, no matter how many mountaintops you have that mark out your story, there's a process. And praise God, can you imagine if you have a, ch a child? Who has a child? Anybody have any kids in the place? Can you imagine if, like, your kid was born and then you're like, all right, go to work, you know, <laughs> or start talking, you know? Like, th th that's ridiculous to expect somebody that comes from, like, this absolutely deeply vulnerable and immature place to all of a sudden be functioning and completely mature. That would be crazy. Nobody would expect that of a kid, hopefully. And yet we expect that, I expect that of disciples a lot of times. I expect that of churches a lot of times, but we're all walking through a process. But what I believe in, and kind of what we're, we're going to go towards this morning is like, I think if we get really good at the slow part, like, let's pray for a move of the Spirit. Let's pray for awakening and lots of people to get saved and delivered. Let's pray for that, absolutely. But if we get good at the slow part, where somebody calls you and you're like, oh, not again. It's like, how, how are you not past this by now? We prayed for you. You cried. Come on. <laughs> Nate just preached about that on Sunday. Why are you? If we get good at that part, I think we'll be way more suited to handle the explosive part. When things are like, people are getting delivered from lots of stuff immediately. Like, uh, we used to pray, Acts chapter 2, like 3,000 people get saved when you tell the testimony of Jesus. Yeah. And I remember sitting with my friend Daniel, who used to work here too, and, and, and Nate, and we were like, that would be terrifying. Can you imagine? It's the three of us all under the age of 30 at the time. And it's like, we're praying for 3,000 people to get saved. I would be drowning. It's like, I barely, barely know how to do what I'm already doing. Like, can you imagine being entrusted with so much? And we see that with a lot of moves of the Spirit and revivals that end up fizzling or turning into cultish weirdness because people can't handle the volume that they're asking for. Their integrity can't hold up under the weight of what they're asking for. So I think if we, if we, if we practice the slow stuff, then no matter what comes, if, if it's a steady trickle, if we're baptizing two or three people a week, praise God. I mean, amazing, amazing. The greatest miracle that's ever happened, amazing. But if revival does happen and people start flooding into churches and we're really good at sitting and being patient with people, oh my gosh, the Lord will be so gracious in that moment. I really genuinely believe that. And I think that helps us with a competitive or comparative attitude, too. Um, I would love to say that I'm not, like, competitive. This is just, just a morning of confessions for me, I guess. <laughs> I stay up too late, and I think wrongly of myself and others, whatever. Uh, that's what we get complimented on more than anything. Uh, probably number two is we, we talk about sin realistically. So, woo we talk about sin. Um, and number two is, you guys just seem so real. Which is just like the, the most tender way of saying, it's so messy. You know, like, it's not this super organized, on a timer sort of thing. Like, it's, it's just very authentic. That's the, that's the nice Christian way of saying that. <laughs> if you have that compliment, always say that. It feels so good. But I, I, I get to this place, and, and I imagine other people who have uh, uh, led or spoken or done anything like that, get in that place of like a competitive attitude where it's like you start to compare yourself to other churches or other ministries or other people in the ministry and you start to compare and compete and you're like, oh, man, I just, I feel like I'm working really hard, but I'm not getting as many results as this person or that person or this church or that church. And I think when you just realize like, Lord, I just want to be faithful with what's right in front of me. I want to be faithful and consistent in a slow, mundane, sometimes obscure and, and not super sexy way. I want to be faithful. I think uh, that means a great deal to the Lord. I took way too much time on that introduction. But I got to, to, I got to quote Tolkien, and that's already a good morning. 
But let's talk about the Bible. If you have your Bible, you can open to the Gospel of John. Um, not to be confused with 1st through 3rd John. This is the Gospel of John. <clears throat> um, it's like this far through the Bible. It'll also be, it'll also be on the screen. We're going to be in chapter 1. The biography of John is, is unique to the other biographies of Jesus in that it starts at a different point. The, the other biographies start at the beginning of Jesus' life. This starts uh, cosmologically all the way at the beginning of everything. And I love this, this book. This is the first thing I ever read in the Bible when I got saved as a teenager. And I didn't understand a word of it. It was so difficult for me to understand. But the author, who is John, he is composing this poetic, beautiful, symbolic, bombastic, huge narrative about how the world came to be and who Jesus is and how significant he was in this, that he is the word from the very beginning manifested in the flesh for our sake, and he's revealing God to all people for all time, and everybody's just like, and then he goes in to introduce the actual historical setting with another person named John. Just a side note, not the author of the book. I know that's confusing. It's a very common name. You'll actually see another John in the text that we read this morning. Not the same person. But they introduce this character, John, who gets the subtitle The Baptist because he's baptizing people. And um, this, this character, Nate's been talking about John the Baptist the last few weeks and stuff like that. But this character kind of roots us in where we are in history. This isn't just a poetic story to communicate a symbolic message. This is a real historical account of real historical people. And so um, I want to look at John 1, starting in verse 29. So John has been preaching and teaching, and he's very strange. He's dressed really strangely. He, he acts very intensely, and he's kind of representing this, this sort of attitude of an Old Testament prophet. And they're, they're marked with strangeness and oddness and these kinds of things. But he is out in the wilderness and people are coming out to him to get baptized and to repent of their sins and to prepare for the kingdom of God. And so he's been talking about one who's coming after him. Because people are like, wow, John is so cool. Who are you? And he's like, I'm just, I'm just the herald. I'm just here to tell you that someone more important than me is coming. Someone so important that if he... If he needed to take his shoes off to enter the house. I couldn't even untie his sandals for him. That's how important this guy is. He says, he's the one who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. One is coming after me, and I'm just here to pave the way. I'm just here to, to prepare his, his coming. And so in verse 29, it says this, The next day, he, he being John, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. There's a lot going on here. We could talk about the lamb. We could talk about the fact that John's a little bit older than Jesus in the flesh, but yet he's saying he's always existed. There's so much going on. But what we're seeing here is this guy who's been, been talking about this a whole bunch. There's somebody coming. There's somebody coming. And then finally he sees Jesus and he's like, that's him. The one that I've been talking about. The one you've all heard me talk about. That's him. And notably, people are like, that's pretty special. And, and we know from further reading that, that John knows this, not just because he has a good hunch and he's like a, he's like a 1920s detective. And see, I got a hunch. This, is, this guy's got moxie. No, like he saw the Holy Spirit come down and dwell on Jesus when he got baptized, and he heard the audible voice of God. That's a unique and special encounter. I'm convinced this is the guy. The most wild part about this story to me is that everybody goes home and goes to bed. <laughs> like, and we catch them up again in verse 35. Again, the next day. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, like John, who's been preaching about this and teaching about this and traveling and, and doing crazy stuff. He's like, that's the one. That's the one I've been talking about. All right, go in peace. Good night. <laughs> you know, like, what, what in the world? And he, he confesses he's the son of God and all these sort of things. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is verse 36, still in chapter 1. And he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. 
for it was about the 10th hour. So, um, this is pretty special. This is pretty significant. Um, I love the, the practicality of this because John is pointing people towards Jesus. And so there's not this, this attitude of competitiveness where like John is doing something and he's like somehow competing with Jesus. He's like, no, of course I would turn people who are following me to someone who's more worth being followed. Like, go check this guy out. And I get this idea. I don't know if you read it this way, if this hits you this way. But it sounds like they're just like following him at a distance. And finally, Jesus is like, what do you want? What do you seek? And, and if, I could, if I could pose this to you, that's like the most significant question anybody ever asks. What do you want? What are you after? What are you doing? That's like a genuine question. I was furious because I wrote this whole message on Thursday. Then I was listening to a sermon on Friday, and that was the whole topic of that guy's message. And I was like, I promise I'm not plagiarizing. I just confess to all sorts of things. If I ripped this off of someone else, I would totally tell you. But he went in a different direction than I will. But so important is this question, what are you looking for? What do you seek? And they answer very practically. We want to know where you're going. We want to know what, you're, what, what you have going on tonight. Can we hang out, you know? And the response of Jesus is really the, the content that I want to get into today. He says, come and see. There's something inside the, the human heart that... that Maybe that's too bold of a statement. Maybe it's not inside every human heart. There's something inside this human heart, and probably a couple of you, that wants every detail right away. It's like, you know what I'm asking, Jesus. <laughs> what are you doing? What is going on? And rather than say, I am the incarnate son of God. I am the logos from the beginning of all creation. I created everything. Nothing came into being without me creating it. Instead of unloading that theological fire hose, he says, why don't you just come and check it out? And I think this is the essence of the slow stuff. Come and see. Because it's easy to do what John did and say, that's him. But what Jesus did is, come and check it out. Come and see what, what that means. Come and see what's going on. And it's amazing because the, the, um, there's a Bible commentator, William Barclay, who wrote this. I have it on the screen? Yes. Jesus' answer was, come and see. The Jewish rabbis had a way of using that phrase in their teaching. They would say, do you want to know the answer to this question? Do you want to know the solution to this problem? Come and see. We will think about it together. When Jesus said, come and see, he was inviting them not only to come and talk, but to come and find the things that he alone could open out to them. This is the slow part, because it's honestly easier to explain everything systematically, but it's much harder to walk alongside somebody as they're, as they're grasping at this stuff, as they're working on it together, to slow down and say, like, let's, let's figure this out as we're going, rather than just leaving you in my preaching dust and hoping that you catch up someday when you actually grow up and become a disciple. It's like, no, instead of expecting you to become a disciple, I'm going to make a disciple. And that was what Jesus was deeply concerned with. If you ever track Jesus in the Gospels, in his biographies that are affectionately written by him, by people who dearly love him, and stand to gain nothing by claiming that he resurrected because they were persecuted and killed for it, these people wrote this, and Jesus would speak to huge crowds. And he would say the weirdest stuff to huge crowds. If you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. And multitudes are sitting there like, what? Is this a Hebrew image? What? Are you, what? And people are like, never mind. He's feeding people. That's cool, but not with that. So people leave, and then he's sitting there with his disciples whom he called, and he's like, are you going to leave me too? And they're like... I, this is what I picture. Excuse me for some interpretive liberties. I have the microphone. You don't. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, he, I picture the disciples being like, well, uh, I don't know. I mean, and they say, where else can we go? Like, honestly, we've, we've come to see and come to believe that you have the words of eternal life. I don't know what all that business was. And then Jesus, Jesus takes the time. It's a metaphor. <laughs> it's it's a symbol. Like, that's, that's a thing you're used to. You, you, you've experienced that before. But Jesus does stuff like that all the time, where he'll use this vast agricultural metaphor 
and say goodnight to everybody and don't ex doesn't explain what it means. And the disciples have to be like, what are you talking about? And he has this deep, profound, prophetic explanation. But Jesus was really good at the slow stuff. And people got encountered in multitudes, but there was something powerful that was happening with Jesus on a daily basis. And I love this because we see these fledging disciples immediately try this out. So let's look at uh, John 1 again. We're going to start in verse 41. We're talking about Andrew. Uh, funny enough, um, we, we generally tend to believe that the two disciples were John, the author of the book, and Andrew. Um, and then there's another person later who will have their dad was named John. These are three Johns. None of them are the same person. Very common name. Don't worry about it. We have like three Lindas in the church right now. So like just picture it's, it's the first century equivalent. Um, he found, uh, verse 41, he found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated Peter. I love this because immediately Andrew had been following John the Baptist. He, he meets Jesus for the first time and is like, this changes everything. This is what I'm doing with the rest of my life. I'm following this guy, but my brother needs to hear about this. So he, they go to their hometown, and he goes, and he's like, Simon, we found the Messiah, the one. And rather than just telling him about Jesus, he's like, man, you should, you should look up his podcast and listen to it. If you, if you have time, don't like, don't like, if, if you're busy, I know you're busy, you're fishing and stuff, whatever. But he's like, no, he brought him to Jesus. And, and I love this. I, I want to read this quote from H.R. Reynolds. He's another Bible commentator, expert on languages. He says this, the Jewish idea of Messiah was the term used among all classes to denote one, and, and it's all capitalized up there, but one is capitalized in, in the commentary, who should, as anointed by God, fulfill the function of prophet, priest, king, who should realize the splendid vision of ancient prophecies and combine in himself a wonderful exhibition of divine majesty and even of awful suffering. So the reason I read that is because I don't want you to think that the, the method of the disciples was to sugarcoat things or to compromise on what they thought about Jesus. When they're saying, come and follow Jesus, they're like, Jesus is the most important person who's ever lived, and I'm, I have a, a sneaking suspicion that he is God himself, so like, you need to come and follow Jesus. That Andrew was not mincing words when he's exposing his brother to the truth about Jesus. He's like, he is the one true Messiah, the one that we've been waiting through, the one that all of our history has been pointing to. Everything has been leading up to this moment. You need to come and check it out. But he wasn't content. And what I want to learn from today is he wasn't content with just like, take that, stew on it, see what comes out. No, he's like, we found the Messiah. Come with me right now. Let's go. He brought him to Jesus. Not just telling him about Jesus. Not just, not just sending him to Jesus. Not just recommending uh, Jesus' book to him. Like, I'll buy you the ebook. The, the printed copy is pretty expensive, but I'll buy you the ebook or, or I'll just let you borrow mine. Now, he's bringing him to Jesus. Let's continue in verse 43. The next day, he, he being Jesus, purposed to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now, we find Jesus is continually doing this, and, and progressive Christians do this all the time. We're like, Jesus never asked to be worshiped. He just asked to be followed. So if you're just a nice person, then you're doing what Jesus wanted you to do. It's like you have cherry-picked the crap out of an ancient writing and just decided to pick what you wanted. And that's just like, if I got up here today and I read you a poem from a poor, uh, like, minority people group, and I just twisted it and abused it, even the most, like, chill of you would be like, that's messed up. Why would you do that? Why would you, like, misrepresent that that culture and those kinds of things, why would you just use that for your own purposes? But yeah, people do that all the time with the Bible that was written a long time ago by an ethnic people group from very far away, and yet we'll just twist it to mean whatever we think it should mean. So that's not in the notes, but don't do that. But this commission to follow me by itself is already this invitation to come and see, where he's like, 
there is this, this aspect of, of, of Christianity that denotes belief, and even to a certain extent, adherence, that you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, and that you respond appropriately to that, like that, you, that your life is changed, you, you treat people a certain way, you treat yourself a certain way, those kinds of things. But Jesus' instructions are like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to get started, and you're going to follow me. And if you can, if you can like, track through the biographies of Jesus, these followers were messing up all the time. Really, even until like, Jesus was arrested, the night he was arrested, the day before he was crucified, the disciples are fighting over stupid, childish stuff. And, and that is deeply comforting to me. <laughs> Um, because I think there's a lot of times where I'm like, I'm just not there. I'm just not producing the fruit that I want to produce. And the Lord just looks at me and he just comforts me in the fact like, you're a child. I'm not expecting you to carry the kingdom on your back. You can barely carry yourself. You need help. Follow me. Verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, presumably also lived in that town. He said to him, we have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Again, they make this profound confession. It's like, this is the one, this is, the, Jesus is the most important person, whatever. He's from Nazareth. And Nathanael uh, makes a quick dig. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's like the way we would talk about Bayfield, you know? <laughs> Just kidding. The, the joke in my notes says Chama, but there's people from Chama here, so <laughs> I'm kidding. Not in my notes, obviously. Um, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Who here is just like totally legit and skilled at evangelism? Do we want to like take a report card and see who's converted the most people? Do we want to do we want to look at that? No, I think honestly, we did missions for a while. We still intend to do missions again, like overseas, far away, that sort of stuff. And our primary method was was talking to strangers on the street, <laughs> and uh, we did that in Colorado Springs. And then we did that in the Middle East, where it's against the law. And I, I'll tell you, mixed responses. Uh, in Colorado Springs, pretty universal responses. Everybody's like, screw you, get away from me. You know, like, um, and that's fine, you know, whatever. Like, have a nice day, you know. I just have the truth that has eternal life in it, whatever. Um, it's embarrassing, it's kind of uncomfortable. In the Middle East, people really want to talk, but it's, it's a big ask for a Muslim person to become a Christian. That's like asking to abandon your family and even maybe your life, your, your financial economic, sociologic security. But what I find is really effective in evangelism is come and see. Because I promise you, there are situations that you're not prepared for, no matter how biblically literate you are. If you guys know me even a little bit, I am so pro-biblical literacy. I am so pro taking long periods of time to pour over the scriptures and understand them correctly. I'm so pro that. That's, that's my thing. But I promise you, you will never be prepared enough to answer every question of the human heart. It's just not going to happen. But what you are prepared for now, come and see. So if you have that confession in your heart, Jesus is Jesus. Is Jesus. <laughs> he is who he said he is. I don't even know all the things that he said he is. But he's revealed himself to me. I believe him. I want to follow him. You have everything it takes to say, come and see. Maybe that'll mean talking to somebody a little bit longer than you had intended to talk to them. <laughs> Maybe that means bringing somebody here. Maybe that means bringing somebody to discipleship opportunities or just, honest to goodness, reading the Bible and praying with people and being in community with people uh, for an indefinite amount of time. But we're all able to do this, no matter your stage of discipleship. And if you're here this morning because somebody did this to you, <laughs> and you're here to, to do the, the see part, you came and now you're, you're trying to see, 
the beauty of Jesus, the, the glory of this narrative and this story that's woven through all of history to this, this prime moment that we're in today, I want to tell you, you're off to a good start. And let's, let's keep going. Uh, I would confess to you, as being somebody who doesn't raise in the church and had no biblical worldview, had no sense of, of biblical morality or any background in that, who got saved as a teenager, I was hooked and I knew nothing about the Bible. And I was like, I don't know what this is going to take. And every week at youth group, I'm finding out something else that I'm doing wrong. <laughs> every week at youth group, I'm finding out something else that's missing in my life. I'm finding out something else that I think incorrectly about God, and I don't regret a moment of it. The moments that I, that I look at and cringe, I'm grateful for, because this is the most important thing that can ever be done. This is the most important conversation that can ever be had, that it's worth staking your reputation on, it's worth staking your comfort on. And a few weeks ago, I talked about the Great Commission, similar stuff, you can look it up on the podcast, whatever. And, and I, got, I got off on talking about like unreached people groups and, and people in foreign countries that have never heard about Jesus, who, all that sort of stuff. If, forgive me if, if you were here and you're like, what in the world just happened? It's a thing. It's a thing for me. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty tender uh, scar tissue, whatever. And I think with that, it's like one of the major reasons that we in America or, or in the safe West, I like to say, uh, are, are scared about sharing the good news about Jesus with other people is not because we don't believe it's, it's the most important news. It's because we're afraid. That's the big one. But I can tell you, the stakes are pretty low right now. And, and you're not saving people. But we've all been tasked with this same commission to follow Jesus. And what followers of Jesus do is they bring other followers to Jesus. That's how, when you get stopped by a police officer in a Muslim country, and they're like, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, vacation. <laughs> like, what do you do in America that you can afford to go on a two-month vacation? I'm a barista. <laughs> they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, and, and people, you'll sit down with people and you'll talk to them about Jesus. And, and I only had it happen one time, but you think you're going to get arrested or something. They're like, I don't think you're... Are you, are you trying to get me to follow Jesus? Are you trying to get me to become a Christian? And then I'm like, yes. Because <laughs> that's the part that's illegal. You can talk about Jesus in most places, but the part of like, asking somebody to change is illegal. Illegal for them, illegal for you. Everybody goes to jail. <laughs> yes, that's why I'm asking you to do it. And they're like, why are you doing this? I was like, this is what Christians do. You know? It's like, why do you want me to be a Muslim? I don't know, that's what Muslims do. It's like, there you go. And I'm sweating. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> Forgive me if that makes me sound cool. It was very not cool. And I joke about sweating like being nervous. It's very hot. So I'm sweating, period. Um, so if you're like, wow, Adam's cool. He's not. Um, he quoted Lord of the Rings like <laughs> at the beginning of this. Not cool. Um, I love this. So we get this idea um, Philip is confessing to Nathaniel. We found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. He's amazing. And, and um, Nathaniel is like, how can that be? Of all the people, a guy from Nazareth? Are you kidding? And I love the guy who we read before, H.R. Reynolds. He writes this in his commentary about this passage. This is his strongest argument. is not to go into the nitty-gritty Bible prophecies. His strongest argument, just check him out. Just come and see who he is. And, and the commentator goes on to write about how significant this time was and how, uh, how meaningful it was in this moment that Nathaniel was a devout Jew. Even Jesus recognizes that. And his heart was longing for the consolation of Israel and all these sort of things. And I had that in my notes and I erased it because I was like, if I read that to you, you're going to be like, wow, that's a lot of pretty words. But that's not where my coworkers are at. That's not the way my family is. They're not longing for the consolation of America and peace through the name of Jesus. They're longing to get paid and, and, and be okay. They're longing to feel something. They're longing to, feel, to not feel other things. That's just not true to our time. How can this still work? Because 
Every heart longs for truth. Even the most decided and convinced person wants to be on the right side. They want to know what's true and what's meaningful. At some point, I mean, maybe you can insulate yourself enough, but at some point, everyone's laid in bed at night and been like, why am I here? Or clocked into work and just been like, what is the point of all this? Experienced heartache or disappointment and realized, like, why go on? Is it for my own self-actualization? Is it for my own benefit? Is it for success? What does that even mean? And those questions are what Jesus is looking into when he asks you genuinely, what do you seek? What are you looking for? No matter what the answer to that question is, I believe Jesus is going to say, come and see. If the God of the universe was standing here right now, he would ask you boldly, more bold than I could be, what are you looking for? What do you want? The devout of us would be like, for God's glory. The honest of us would be like, I just, I want to get past March. I want to get past my kids living at home. Sorry. I want to get past this, this phase, this fighting that I'm having with my spouse. I want to get past whatever. I want to get a better job where I work less and get paid more. I want to get past this fear and anxiety. I want to get past this depression or heartache. I want to get past this disappointment. I want to get into this success and crushing it like, like, like that person down the street who just seems like he's completely okay. I, I want to look at that. I want to do that. And whatever your answer is, Jesus is going to be like, I have something for you. Come and see. And we can't, we can't like, we can't like spice this up. Because what's going to happen is we can be super cool. And I'll tell you, when we built that pallet wall, it was super cool. <laughs> but if you've looked at a church recently, we're out of style already. We were probably out of style when we started. No matter how cool we present ourselves to be, at the end of the day, when you ask somebody to come and see, the, the, the very quick option is exclusivity and self-denial. So if you're here today and you're like, well, let, me, let me try on Jesus. Let me, let me, let me come and see. I'm, I'm just ruining the ending of the story for you. <laughs> I genuinely believe, and we confess here at the church that Jesus is the only way. That's why we're so passionate about loving people and sharing the good news with him because there's not another option. And when you start to follow Jesus, it's not about you. Can, can, I, can I, I'm not pulling your leg. I genuinely believe this. When it's not about you, it feels so much more free. Because <laughs> when your life and all the, the celestial bodies in the universe are rotating around you, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> but when you're realizing, no, it's actually about Jesus, and he's the best. Because people are like, I don't go to church because this person sucks, or I don't like that person, or that person didn't say hi to me, and I just... That church is just, they don't have the love of God or the Holy Spirit. And they, they don't spend enough time praying in tongues, or they don't spend, they spend too much time praying in tongues. If, if you're not in the church for any reason, you probably have a good reason. But Jesus is the best. And we are here because of him. Amen. Not because, like, Nate's an amazing preacher, or because we have a dope pallet wall and Edison bulbs. <laughs> That's not why we're here. We keep coming back week after week. We keep saying yes day after day because Jesus. And he's worth it. So come and see, man. Get baptized. Get saved. Follow Jesus. I'm like the most introverted. I, I, I what is it? I-N-T-J, whatever. And I am willing to stake my own introverted comfort on this truth. Disclaimer, it's way easier to do this than face-to-face. -face. Like, people talk, oh, Joey's, Joey's there. Uh, Joey's with me. I say this all the time. Like, that's like the second highest fear in lists of, of most popular fears is it's death and public speaking. Public speaking is easy if you're an introvert. 
because I don't actually have to look at you in the eye and <laughs> retain eye contact and follow up. But what I'm saying is, like, genuinely, if, if, if no one else approaches you today, come and see. Come with me. Come with us, and let's, let's do this thing. And you will not be disappointed. That sounds good, doesn't it? If I stopped right there, it would be like, wow, that's good. And then you'd go to work tomorrow and be like, wait, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> that's like uh, probably like 90% of evangelical teaching today is like, get excited, go home. Uh, this is really a long announcement, you guys, because we're doing something. We're, we're, we're taking steps in a direction where it's like, I don't want to just talk about doing something. I want to do something, okay? So if you're like, man, I am just freaking jazzed about that awkward, uncomfortable, like uh, talking to strangers on the street thing, let's, let's do it, you know? Let's go for it. Um, I tried it in Pagosa. A lot of times you'll talk to people from Texas, and that's fine. <laughs> they need Jesus too. How oh, that really hit with you guys. I've got to write that down for next time. Texas jokes. <laughs> but I've got something else. So we're, do, we're doing this thing. We're starting this thing. And, and we, we read about it for a while. And it's just a tool. I don't want to overinflate it or, or put too much pressure on it. But there's this program called Alpha. It was pioneered by a church in England who was just saying, like, you know, there's a lot of people who need Jesus who aren't going to church. So what are we going to do about that? It's like, let's, let's just develop a system where we can start talking to people about Jesus who normally wouldn't come to a Sunday morning service or normally wouldn't engage in this kind of conversation. Let's just make something that is practical. It's been shaped over the years. It's, it's really well done. It's very professional. And so we're going to take it on. And the whole purpose of this program is to invite people into a conversation. No matter where they're at, and, and if you're here today and you're like, I don't know, inviting people sounds really scary. I'm, I'm still like only 80% convinced that Jesus is the way. I don't know what to do. Then you're the ideal candidate for this thing. Come, eat dinner, we'll watch your kids, and let's talk about the most important things that exist. And that's what Alpha is. People keep asking me what Alpha is because I keep talking about it. That's what it is. It's getting around a dinner table, a short talk, and then talking about the most important things that exist. And that's what we're... That's what we're looking for. That's what we're trying to do. In a moment, I'm going to show you a quick video, if you have that. Uh, Mia, it's at the very bottom. Um, the gospel message is timeless. It's profoundly significant. It's unchanging. But the method with which we communicate it has the greatest flexibility. Because times change and cultures change. The way Nate shared the gospel in Kenya is different than the way that we'll share the gospel in the Middle East. It's different than the way that we share the gospel in downtown Colorado Springs. It's different than the way we share the gospel here, but it's still the gospel. That's the important thing. And we, we're going to be faithful to that. We're going to be consistent with that. But I, I think about this all the time, and, and it was a huge smack in the face to my pride. I was working at a church... And we had two young people get saved independently of one another. They didn't know each other. And so they come to youth group, and I'm like, hey, what's up? How'd you, what's going on? Like, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I just recently gave my life to Jesus, and I, I wanted to come here and, and check it out. I was like, wow, that's so cool. What happened? And they're like, I just saw a really, really cool TikTok video. And I was like, what? <laughs> Are you sure? Like, that's like the cringiest way to get saved. Like, I was, I was so judgmental in that moment. But like... They were, they were sincere. They are like, you know what? I was just scrolling my phone late at night before school, and, and I just saw this video, and this, this young woman was talking about the love of God, and it, I just felt the presence of Jesus, and it changed my life. And I was like, well, shoot. That's amazing. And I had a youth group full of these hood rat kids, and uh, the pastor asked me to do a human video. If you don't know what a human video is, bless you. It's, it's one of the most awkward things to do. It's where you like act out a skit to a song, and I'm like way too cool for that, right? I got saved in like the metalcore scene. I, the human video, are you kidding me? That's so lame. And we're doing it to a Carmen song. And it's where Jesus is boxing with, with the devil. And so we've got a kid being the devil and a kid being Jesus. And they're boxing on a Sunday morning. And I'm just looking at this like, oh my gosh, this is, this is so lame. And, and all of my kids are like in tears at the end. They're like, that was so powerful. And I was like, Really? 
I don't know anything about communicating, apparently. Like, that got to you? Like, I'm preaching ex- like exegetically out of the scriptures every Wednesday night, and, and that got to you? Boxing gloves? Lights and hazers? It's all that to say, like, we, we are so open to flexible methods. But I think at the core of it, the message of who Jesus is and what he's done for us is, is at the core. And I think we're all in the position to invite people. I think we have some really good inviters here in our church today. And don't be ashamed of that. Also, I want to prepare you for inevitable rejection. <laughs> if somebody's like, no, that's okay. What they, what they tell you in sales. Let me tell you something about sales. If they don't say no... They never said no. <laughs> so keep saying come. <laughs> keep inviting them. And even when they do say no, give it a week. What do you think? Like maybe, maybe Sunday morning is weird. Maybe alpha sounds like a lot. Maybe whatever. Um, what, if, what if you and I hang out? What if you come over for dinner and we start talking this Jesus thing through? What if you, you and I go on a walk or... or um, and we just began it. And I, and I think this, this is really the trajectory that Jesus uses. Because we talk all the time about revival and, and special stuff and whatever. And I love that. But I'm going to tell you today, if that doesn't happen like we expect it to happen, this is going to happen. That was a weird way to say that. <laughs> um, Mia, if you want to show that video... We're going for it. We're, we're going to do this. We're going to do lots of other things. Even the movie thing is, is kind of a, a, an outworking from this idea of just trying to equip um, our church uh, to reach our community for the sake of Jesus. Um, that not everybody's Stan Gill and will we'll like tackle people that park in handicapped spots and tell them about Jesus. Uh, I think more of you are than you let on to be, just being honest. Um, but uh, I think this is a beautiful opportunity. And if you want to come and sit and, and not invite somebody, it's a great opportunity to learn, have important discussions, and we need people there. Um, I'm approaching quite a few of you of being table leaders and making sure that people feel safe and get to talk through things. But a lot of the indecision and fear that people have is because they've never actually thought it through. They never thought it through looking into the eyes of someone who genuinely cares about them. And so we're going to do that uh, together. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.